0: 2nd Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 1 the Apostle Paul is setting before the believers at the church of Thessalonica a great burden a great duty that is pressed upon them and that duty is essentially this that they as the people of God take up the cause of God by praying for the success of the gospel praying for the success of the gospel. In some strange way, God has ordained that His gospel would not be successful in the world apart from the prayers of His people. That whatever there might be by way of the work of the Spirit of God, whatever there might be by way of the proclamation of Jesus Christ as buried, as dead, buried, buried and raised again from the dead, whatever else there might be by way of divine power, God has ordained that divine power be joined with the prayers of the people of God. And so what I want to do this morning is set before you this passage of Scripture. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse one, which reads this way. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Kindly, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord might have free course and be glorified. What a beautiful picture we have of the word of God finding success. What a wonderful picture we have of the word of God overcoming all obstacles. What a wonderful picture we have of the people of God joining in this great eternal work that will culminate one day in the exaltation and the glory of Jesus Christ. You've been called to that work. And if I can say it, you've been called to that work in this place. It is your prayers in this passage of Scripture that are presented as necessary elements to the success success of the gospel. And so what I want to do this morning is set before you the following proposition. That it is the duty of the people of God to pray for the effectiveness of the word of God preached and the success of the gospel in the church of Jesus Christ. It is the duty of the people of God. In a very real sense, it is the great duty that is laid upon the church of Jesus Christ. But we can present this passage of scripture in another light. And the light would be this. That it is the desire of every minister of the gospel to have the people of God praying for him. Because the minister of the gospel knows that without the prayers of the people of God, his words will fall on deaf ears. Without the prayers of the people of God, hearts will remain hardened. Without the prayers of the people of God, the minister only has himself to depend on. And the minister understands and knows that without the Spirit of God working and the people of God praying, what is he? He knows his own faults. He knows his own sins. And so again, this prayer, this doctrine, this duty set before you, this desire of a minister of the gospel. Now let me say this, even before we begin to develop this, uh, this passage of scripture or this doctrine... Let me say this by way of why you need to hear this passage of Scripture framed in this way. Well, you need to hear the passage of Scripture framed in this way because you need to understand that even though you have been called to the gospel, even though you've been called to eternal life graciously and without any merit of your own, God enlists upon you certain what I like to call gospel duties. Yes, you've been saved freely. You've added nothing to your salvation by way of your good works. It's not your righteousness that is giving you favor in the sight of God. It's nothing other than the righteousness of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And I ask you, even in this opening section of the sermon, have you embraced that righteousness by faith? Do you know what it is to stand before God with a clear conscience, knowing that whatever your sins are or were, they have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Oh, the blessing of the gospel. And while the gospel comes to men freely, and while it's received only by faith in Jesus Christ, yet God has ordained to place upon the church of Jesus Christ certain gospel duties. And the gospel duty that we have right here is the gospel duty of praying. And so you must understand that there is this reality that we know as gospel duties. To pray for the success of the gospel. The second reason why you need to understand this doctrine as it's set before you in this passage of scripture, finally, brethren, pray for us. The reason why you need to understand it is because the gospel is opposed in our day as the gospel has been opposed in every day. It is a very strange thing about human nature that human nature in its fallen state opposes that which is best for it. The human nature in its fallen state sees that which is best for it as something that it shies away from. Something that it attempts to shut down over and over again. And so you need to understand that the gospel is opposed. The gospel is not only opposed by those outside of the church. Sometimes the gospel is opposed by those inside the church as well. Now we brought this up a few weeks ago, didn't we? When we talked about how that all true gospel preaching has the twin pillars of of, of repentance and faith. And apart from the twin pillars of repentance and faith, gospel preaching is not present. We've made the reference to the idea of how important, and how central sanctification is in the life of every believer. And if a church should preach without emphasizing sanctification, it is not doing the work of God. In one sense, it is opposing the gospel. So yes, the gospel is opposed from outside of the church, but oftentimes the gospel is opposed within the professing church. And therefore, we have to make sure that we pray. Why? Because the word of God will... No- God has ordained. Why? I can't tell you, but God has ordained that the gospel only be successful through the prayers as well as the preaching of the word of God. Amen. Secondly, again, as I just said a moment ago, we don't know why God has ordained uh, that prayer be necessary to the success of, of the gospel. We don't know why that he's done it, but we know that he has done it, and in a sense, The people of God sin when they do not pray for the success of the gospel. So I have to ask you, my friends, my brothers and sisters, when was the last time you prayed for the success of the gospel? When was the last time you prayed not only for your minister, for your pastor, for your preacher, but when was the last time you prayed in a very large way that the gospel would spread throughout the world, all all, all throughout the world, that the word of God would have free course? That the gospel would, would would break down every barrier in the heart of man by way of its opposition. And that the gospel would find a place in the heart and the soul of everyone who hears it. When was the last time you have prayed that way? My friends, we fail in the sight of God when we are not praying that way. Again, the urgency of the day. Whatever we hope to accomplish here in the life of this church, and I hope and I pray by the grace of God that this, that this, this, that this time that we are entering into will be a time blessed by God. It's my, it's my sincere desire. Whatever will happen is dependent upon the prayers of the people of God. And if if these are not enough reasons to understand why we need to pray for the success of the gospel, all we have to do is just remember what we heard yesterday on the news. We are a nation falling apart at the fringes. The fringes are affecting and cracking the core of who and what we are. And if you don't think in this day that the gospel must go forward in power of the spirit and by way of the prayers of the people of God, you... We have our heads in the sand. I'll be polite. (laughs) We have our heads in the sand. And so again, you see and you understand all these reasons why we need this principle found in the passage of Scripture, that it is the duty of the church to pray for the effectiveness of the word of God and the success of the gospel in this present day. What I want to do is I want to work this proposition through. From three perspectives in this passage of Scripture. And the first thing that I want you to see is this, is that, again, the Word of God, for the Word of God to be successful, and this is my first point, for the Word of God to be successful and have free course, the people of God must pray. This is, again, the direct proposition of the passage. If the gospel is to be successful, the people of God must pray. Now, it's interesting when we look at this passage of scripture, we see very obviously that Paul is coming to some what we would call concluding admonitions. Look again what he says here in verse uh, in chapter three, verse one. He says the following. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord might have free course and be glorified even as it is with you finally, brethren. Again, these concluding admonitions. There's a sense in which Paul has already started this back in the 15th verse of the the second chapter. Look at the 15th verse of the second chapter. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. And what Paul is doing here, again, he's coming to a close, he's emphasizing certain things that the people of God need to take with them, that the people of God need to remember. And what they need to remember again. Again, it is this primary point that the people of God need to be praying for the work of the gospel. Now, when we come to the whole idea of prayer in one sense, prayer is in one sense, prayer is so 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 much a part of the of the Christian life that in one sense it almost doesn't need to find, does it? I think in in one sense we all know what praying is. But if we were to be formal, and let me say this, sometimes with things that are very well known by the people of God, sometimes definitions can can confuse rather than clarify, and I hope that's not the case here. But let me say this about prayer. If we were to ask or to set forth something of a formal definition of prayer, that formal definition would go something like this, that prayer is an offering up of our desires in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the will of God and the power of the Spirit of God, for the glory of God himself. Prayer is an offering up of our desires. Let me say this. Your desires are, 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 are perfectly acceptable to be offered to God in prayer. Now, in the course of your Christian life, you want to see those desires being more and more conformed to the desires of God. But this is what prayer is. And it is, once again, an offering up of desires according to the will of God in the power of the Spirit. And so when we talk about this this idea of praying for the success of the gospel, it sets before our mind, again, the idea of coming to God. And stop and think of who the God that you you go to in prayer is. He is the God of awesome majesty. He is the God who can do all things. He is the God whose will will be accomplished in this world. And that's what makes this passage of scripture so eye-opening. The very God who can do all things. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing that when we think about prayer, uh, I think it was John Wesley who said one time that God does nothing except except in answer to prayer. Stop and think of that. God does nothing except in answer to prayer. I have to say, theologically, I would question that. Nobody asked God to create the world. But the sentiment of the prayer is something that we should not let escape us. That God has ordained that the work of, that he is doing in this world is so dependent upon the prayer of the people that a man of the caliber of John Wesley can say, God is doing nothing except in answer to prayer. What has God done lately in in answer to your prayer? Can we think back to what God has done? You see the necessity of praying. So the God that we go to in prayer is not a God who is limited. It's not a God who can do 90% of the work and we have to do the remaining 10% of the world. It is the God of awesome majesty. It is the God whose purposes shall not fail. It is the God whose word goes out. You've seen it on, the, uh, on, 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 our, on our bulletin that the word of the Lord shall accomplish that which he purposes. It is the God who cannot fail. And it is that God who allows you and enlists you in this whole thing of prayer in order that you might have a part in the going forth of the gospel. And so this whole idea of praying is again vital to the very life, uh, lifeblood of the Christian. Now when we ask... Why is it that God honors prayer in such a way? Why is it that God has allowed this thing of prayer to be so central to the preaching of the gospel? And I think in a very simple way we can say this. God honors this type of prayer because that type of praying honors God. It's as simple as that. God honors that which honors him. When you honor God, God honors you. And so again, in this call to pray for the gospel, the, those are some of the sentiments that we see here. The other thing that I think is interesting is this. Paul says, pray for us. Paul realizes the work that he is engaged in is, is not a work for one man, no matter how gifted that man may be, no matter how capable that man may be. Paul says, pray for us. Paul understands that he, he is joined together with others in the work of the gospel. And I want you to think of that. I'm very much taken up with the idea that And I love this idea that here we are again, by the grace of God and in all sincerity before God, believing that we are preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not here purposely adulterating the word of God. Now, there may be faults and there may be errors and there may be blemishes here and there. But the desire and the longing is to preach and set forth the true word of God. And I thank God that I live in a world in a day where I am not the only one doing that. I thank God that there are others, even in this area, that are preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that God would raise up more and more churches that preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the work of the gospel is not a work for one man. Finally, brother, pray for us. Pray for, pray for gospel preachers far and wide. Pray for men to be so convinced convinced and convicted by the Spirit of God That as I said earlier, they will preach the word of God, not currying the favor of people, but setting before the people the will of God. Oh, may God give us more men to preach the gospel like that. And I'll say it very clearly, and I'll say it very bluntly to young men, to older men. Oh, may God get a hold of us. And may God grip us in such a way and gift us and call us in order to make us useful, not only for time, but for eternity as well. So may God do these very things. Paul says, "Pray, finally, brethren, pray for us." Again, these things given here. Now, as I said before, when we take a look at the at the at the man who is who is requesting this, we were somewhat taken aback because the man who is requesting this was a very capable man. Now, Paul was not a man of you know mean or low gifts. Uh, Paul was not a man who just was latching on to whatever he could do. Paul was a very capable man. Though he thought very little of himself, though he did not in any way boast of any of his natural gifts, when we look at what Paul was as a man, we see that, that Paul was a very capable man. And we see this in a number of ways. Number one, we see that Paul, as I said before, Paul was a man both of natural and spiritual gifts. A man both of natural and spiritual gifts. His natural gifts are seen in the way that he was able to make progress in his religion by birth. Judaism. We see this in Galatians chapter 1 verse 14. Paul says this. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age and among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul by way of nature was that man who when a task was set before him. He would do it and he would do it with zeal. And so again, as I said before, he was not an incapable man by way of natural gifts. But he certainly was not an incapable man by way of spiritual gifts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says this, that the signs of an apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Paul was an extremely gifted man, maybe the most gifted man the church had ever seen. And this man, what is he saying? Brethren, pray for us. If that man needs prayer for the work of the gospel, yeah, right. (laughs) He had the advantage of being taught by one of the most famous rabbis of the day. In Acts chapter twenty-two, verse three, he says, "I am a Jew, born of Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers." And so, again, here was this man. He had natural abilities. He had the advantages of, of, of great education. He had spiritual gifts. And he didn't say that the church of Thessalonica, okay, don't worry about it. I got it from this point on. He doesn't say that. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us. Pray that the word of God would be effective. Pray that the word of God would have its full effect in the lives of people. Pray that the, Lord, that the word of God would break down these barriers. And so we see that Paul depended upon the prayers of the people of God for the success, not just of his work, but for the, success, for the success of the gospel as a whole. Now what's interesting, and if you know anything of the life of the Apostle Paul, you know that Paul was often requesting prayer for his work. We see this again, Romans 15, Ephesians 6, Colossians 4, 1 Thessalonians as well as Second Thessalonians, Philippians chapter 1 verses, uh, verse 19. One passage of scripture I think that's very pertinent here is found in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20. And most of us know and remember Ephesians 6 is all about that passage of spiritual warfare. It's all about that passage where the Christian is being suited up with armor to do battle for the cause of God. And you know what battle looks like? Battle looks like prayer. That's exactly what the Christian is suited up for. That's why Paul says immediately after uh, the, uh, the, the, the listing of the armor, he says this in verse 19. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. <laughs> I love this passage of scripture because it reminds the preacher that there is a way in which the gospel is to be preached. It's not to be preached arrogantly, but it must be preached boldly. It's not to be preached in a way to purposely offend, but it may strike the consciences of those who hear. And again, the Apostle Paul, this man is praying for what? Oh, that God would give him this boldness. You know, I think of of, of the illustration of, of Ezekiel and the day in which Ezekiel lived. And you might remember that passage of Scripture. And in that passage of Scripture, when, when God is calling Ezekiel and when God is ordaining Ezekiel to the work uh, that he has for him, he reminds Ezekiel that he is living in, 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 in the context of these hard-hearted sinners, those who are opposing God at every turn. And as you look at how God commissions Ezekiel, what does he say? He says, I've made thy forehead like a flint, like a, like a, like a, like a flint of stone. I thought to myself, well, oh, look at this in the commission of Ezekiel. Hard-hearted sinners were being raised up in the day in which Ezekiel lived. And when sinners, hard-hearted sinners were raised up, what, what did God do? God raised up a hard-headed preacher to oppose them. Yes, sometimes preaching must oppose, it must oppose and direct itself to the sins of the people. And that's why Paul says, pray for me that I might preach boldly. Oh God, save us from a type of preaching that is not worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. God, save us from a type of preaching that does not come up to the standard that God calls us to. That's why, if I can put it this way, that's why you remember last week when we preached from that passage of scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 3.16. Paul says to Timothy that that you might know how to conduct yourself in the church of God, which is the house of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And you remember in that illustration of the pillar and ground of truth, that the church is the pillar and ground. And what do pillars do? They support the the roof. And that image was taken from the image of the temple of Diana. And in that day, those pillars, you remember, 60 feet high, 120 of them, Oh, just magnificent as far as their vision. It was one of the, I told you last week, one of these uh, uh, seven wonders of the ancient world. And all those pillars designed to support that roof where where Diana was prominently placed. Well, what is the church to do? The church is the pillar and ground of what truth? Jesus Christ, as God manifest in the flesh, come to save sinners. That's the truth that must be preached. And if there is a tr- me, if there is a church that is not preaching that truth, then that church is not a tr- true church of Jesus Christ. And so again, because of this, as I said before, we need to pray for the work of the gospel. We need to pray for ministers of the gospel, not just this man. We need to pray for ministers of the gospel far and wide, that God would keep them, us, me, holy, pure, and righteous. That God would give to us, them, me, the idea of clarity as to what God is calling us to. And so you see, Paul was calling and desiring the prayers of the people of God. Well, you know, prayer is an essential part of the work of the gospel. It's not something that just Paul developed. Again, this is really, in one sense, just Paul continuing on the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. you remember the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ? When ye pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Praying for the success of the gospel. Praying for the success of the word of God as it goes forth. And so the Lord Jesus Christ himself commanding <clears throat> excuse me, that the church be praying for the extension of the kingdom of God. And let me ask you a question. Is there any question as to whether or not the kingdom of God will be successful in human history? Of course there's no question. God has determined that Revelation chapter eleven, fifteen: 15 the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ and he shall reign forever. And whether you quote it out of the good old King James or whether you sing it with Handel on his Messiah it's the same. The purposes of God shall not fail. But yet we're to pray. God is enlisting you. God is calling you in this great duty. Our Lord Jesus Christ, again, in the passage of Scripture that we read this morning in our opening verse, pray that the Lord of the harvest send forth laborers into his field. You see, the harvest is plenty. Let's do away with this thinking. Can I be particular here? Let's do away with this thinking. Oh, you're down there on the Cape. There's nobody going to get saved down there. Hey, listen, God has a people. God has a people. And the church of Jesus Christ, in spite of who may or may not respond, the church of Jesus Christ must proclaim. You see, again, there is a people that Christ is calling to his church at this present time. There is a people that the Spirit of God is working in. And what we must do is we must join together in prayer and in preaching to bring the matter before God. Even the Lord Jesus Christ himself prayed for the gospel. John chapter 17, what does he say? Neither pray I for these alone, but for them which shall believe on me through their word. That's the proclamation of the gospel. So can I say this? When you pray for the success of the gospel, you are taking up a work that the Lord Jesus Christ himself was involved in. And you prayed again for the success of the gospel. And so again, this wonderful reality that God calls us to, this wonderful truth that God calls us to, to pray for the gospel. Now, again, why, 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 have, why must we pray? As I said before, the gospel is opposed in the day and age in which we live. We can put it this way by way of prayer and preaching. And let me say this, I am convinced that these are the ways in which God has ordained for the church to go forward. Prayer and preaching. And what about prayer and preaching that we see? We can say this, that preaching is designed to bring the will of God to man. And praying is designed to bring the desires of man to God. Preaching sows the word of God. Praying brings the rain and the sunshine that gives the word of God success. And so in this work that we are called to, praying and preaching are the ways that God has ordained. So as I said before, if the gospel is to be successful, if the gospel is to have free course, and if the word of God is to be glorified, the people of God must be praying. That's our first point. Our second point is this. That when the work of God succeeds, there there are evident signs that can be observed. Secondly, when the work of God succeeds, there are evident signs that can be observed. This takes us back again to to verse 1 of of chapter 3. Again, finally, uh, brethren, uh, uh, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified. This is a wonderful picture. So many times the Apostle Paul, just like our Lord Jesus Christ in one sense. There is our Lord Jesus Christ using these par- uh, parables that would bring up uh, 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 scenes of everyday life. And he would, he, would, he would invest those scenes with all kind of theological and spiritual truth. Well, in many ways, Paul does the same, Paul does the same thing. Last week, we talked about the, the, the temple of Diana there in Ephesus. And, and when Paul talks about the church as the pillar and ground of truth, he is bringing in that visual, that visual reality of the church as a temple. When Paul says here that the word of God might run and have free course and be glorified, you know what he's thinking about. If him from his day, he's thinking about the Olympic games. He's thinking about a runner going forth. He's thinking about a runner being glory. He's, he's thinking about a, a, a runner finding success. And at the end of that success, what happens? The crown is given to him. The runner is glorified. Well, that's what Paul is saying here about the gospel. Isn't this a wonderful picture concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ that it runs? Oh, aren't you glad when the Word of God runs all over you and runs through you? Aren't you glad when the Word of God is successful and is glorified? Aren't you glad when the Word of God has its intended effect? And that's exactly what Paul is praying for. Paul is praying again this picture that the Word of God would run and have success. Now, it's interesting here that Paul is not only bringing in this idea of the Olympic Games, but he's also calling upon an Old Testament passage of Scripture. In and, uh, and, and Psalm 147, verse 15, uh, we read this. He sends forth his commandment upon the earth. The wor- his word runneth very swiftly. Now, whenever we have these ideas of running swiftly, the idea is it's running with success. It's not met with impediments. It's not met with obstacles. And let me say this as we begin to, and maybe I should do this at this point, as we begin to look to points of application here, one of the ways in which you can apply this prayer or this, or, or this duty, I might say, is this, is that you would pray that in yourself first, but in all those who are hearing the word of God with you on a particular day, that all the impediments to hearing the word of God effectively would be removed. Now, sometimes the prayer for those, for the removal of those impediments Or are not as spiritual as you might think. But they are spiritual. I hate to say it this way. Sometimes you have to pray. That a particular personality quirk of the preacher. Doesn't cause you to shut down. You ever have to listen to somebody. Who maybe they just speak with a lisp or whatever. And you can't hear what they're saying. Because that lisp drives you crazy. Or maybe there's a particular way that he carries himself and it just shuts the message down. So you have to pray that none of those little quirks would be an obstacle to the effectiveness of the word of God. You have to pray that Sister So-and-So, who just had her baby and wants everybody to see her baby, just will not take that baby out of the congregation and just cry. But I'm going to tell you what, if that happens... I've said this, I'd, I'd rather have babies crying than people snoring. So you can bring, you can, you can bring your babies and have them cry. But again, impediments. You, you, you need to pray that in yourself that there won't be impediments. And you know what that is. There's a particular sin you don't want to be dealt with. There's a particular attitude you don't want to be addressed There's a particular way the church does something in its order of service. It just kind of rubs you the wrong way. These are all impediments to the successful going forth of the word of God. So we have to pray that way. Of course, on the larger scale, we have to pray that the world in which we live in will not create too much opposition to the gospel. That the world that we live in will allow the, 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 wonder, the beauty and the, and the magnificence of, a free, of the free exchange of ideas and, and the freedom of speech and the ability to, to say what God has called us to say. It's a blessing. And so again, we have to pray along these lines. But in this whole idea, again, Paul seeing the word of God as running swiftly and having success. Now he praised that because again one of the things as I said I'm sorry but to my second point when the word of God is having success and being glorified there are manifest evidences of that we can in other words we can see when the word of God is being successful why do I say that well listen to these following passages of scripture Acts chapter 6 verse 7 and the word of the Lord increased and the number of the disciples multiplied Acts 12, 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Acts 13, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Again, that idea of running. Acts 19, 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed, the word of God being glorified. Again, over and over we see this in Acts, another place in the, in, in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, they received the word of God. Acts chapter 11, they received the word of God. Acts chapter 17, they received the word of God with all readiness of mind. And so what we see here is that it, there, are, there, are, there is a manifest sense in which we can see when the gospel is being successful. Now we have to say this because, and the reason why we emphasize prayer is because we know that, the, as I said earlier, that the gospel is, is, is opposed. As I said before, it's opposed not only by those outside of the church, sometimes those inside the church. But as I said before, the gospel is also opposed by those who hear it. And along these lines, I do have to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke, the 8th chapter. Luke chapter 8. And in this passage of scripture, our Lord is giving the parable of the sower. And this parable of the sower is such a true picture of the nature of the gospel and the nature of the hearts upon which the gospel falls. Luke chapter 8. And in this passage of scripture, we can start in verse 11 or verse 12 here Luke chapter 8 verse 11 Now the parable is this the seed is the word of God Those by the wayside are they that hear and then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved What do you need to pray when the word of God is being preached You need to pray that the devil would not snatch away the word of God. And I'm not trying to be funny when I'm saying this, but I do want you to remember this. From this passage of scripture, we can ascertain that the devil comes to church too. You understand? The devil runs up and down these aisles sometimes too. I don't want to get all spooky on you. You know what I mean? You understand what I mean. But you see what's happening here. You see the spiritual dynamic that's here. That's why we must pray that the word of God will have success. Also, looking at, as we go on in verse 13, And they are the rock. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy. And these have no root which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. Oh, time of temptation. You know, another the other the parallel passage of scripture says, when, when temptation or opposition comes because of the word. You know, here you and I are. We are trying to, to make a case for the word of God in the society in which we live. And we get pushback on that sometimes, don't we? We're called all kind of names because of that. What we intend in love is thrown back in our faces. Hate and we, we sometimes don't understand why that's the case. But you need to understand that when pushback comes, don't give up the gospel because of that. We also see here... In verse 14, And they which fell among the thorns, are they which when they had heard, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring forth no fruit to perfection. You see, these are the hindrances. These are the things that we have to pray against. This is what you have to pray against in your own life. This is what you have to pray against in the, in the, in the life of the church. And so again, these oppositions and, that, and these oppositions, and that's why the Apostle Paul says, Brethren, pray for us. Now, it's interesting that this idea, again, of the word of the Lord having free course, and running speedily, and being victorious, and, and, and being glorified. You know, it's a very strange thing. It's, when you look at human history, when you look at the, it, 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 the history of ideas, when you look at the history of the gospel, you find that there are times and the places where the gospel is very successful very quickly. But we also know that there have been times in human history where evil has been very successful very quickly. And it's one of the things that bewilder us in the day and age in which we live that when we stop and think of what we have seen, particularly those of us who are a little older, of what we've seen in the last 20 years, we almost can't believe what we see in the last 20 years. Evil has run swiftly. And where's the gospel been? Oh, my brothers and sisters, listen. We don't know the sovereign ways and purposes of God, but we do know that God has commanded that we pray that the gospel itself be successful. And I like to think of the success of evil in our present day along these lines. Not that I like to think of the success of evil. But if the moral order of Western society can be overturned in less than a generation, how much quicker can God bring revival to a praying people in this day? You understand? If 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 the moral order can be overturned so quick, how much quicker can our God act? Don't give up, brethren. Don't give up, my sisters. Don't give up. Preach. Make the gospel known in your workplaces. Pray that the word of God would be effective. And so we see again this idea of what it looks like for something to run and to be uh, and, and to succeed. Now, if I were also to set before you the idea of um The the gospel running and and having success and the word of the Lord be glorified. I can even do that within the last few weeks that we've been together. The last few weeks we've been together, I believe in the last six weeks, you remember, I've tried to set forth what I believe are foundational elements of a successful gospel ministry in any local church. And as a matter of fact, today's sermon is the final or the capstone of that kind of little series. And you remember what we started with. We started with the exaltation and the preeminence of Jesus Christ. That every church that is doing the work of God will be a church where Jesus Christ is exalted. We talked about the centrality of the word of God from 2 Timothy 3.16. We talked about the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit from that Old Testament saint, Bezalel. We talked about the true preaching of the gospel from Acts chapter 20, repentance and faith. Last week we talked about the nature of the church is to hold forth the church to hold forth the, 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 the person of Christ. And for the Word of God to run and have success in each of those sermons would have meant this. It would have meant that you would have resolved in your mind that in your life and in your church, Jesus Christ will be preeminent. It would, it would mean that you would have resolved in your thinking that the Word of God would be the final and ultimate authority in all your decision making. It would mean that in your life the work of the Spirit of God would be desired and sought after. It would mean that you would understand whenever you hear preaching on the radio or on the TV, unless the twin pillars of gospel truth are there, you're hearing a faulty message. It would mean that when the church of Jesus Christ gathers its sole purpose and your determination for that is to set forth Jesus Christ. That is the Word of God running and being glorified. And the question is, brothers and sisters, has it run and is it being glorified? I hope and I pray that it is. You see this whole idea, the picture there, the, the word of God running and being glorified. And so when we think of this, uh, this, this second part of being glorified, what does that look like? Well, the word of God is glorified when it is believed. I think in the Old Testament of that episode of, in Joshua 7, where uh, the man Achan is, uh, uh, sees this wedge of gold in that fine Babylonian garment. Uh, he desires these things and, and he hides them under his tent. And you remember what Joshua says to him. He says he says to, to, to Achan when, when he is calling him to confess his sins, he says, give glory to God. You know the word of God is being glorified in your life when you confess the sin that the word of God reveals. You know that the word of God has gained preeminence in your life when you, sing, when you take the word of God's side against yourself. Have you ever done that? So often we hear the word of God coming in. It's but this and but that. And if it wasn't for this and if it wasn't for that. But when the word of God is being glorified in the life of the individual. The individual does not shy away from taking the side of scripture. Even against himself. That's the word of God being glorified in the life. The word of God is the, the word of God is being glorified again when it not only convinces of our sin, but brings us to repentance. The word of God is being glorified when Jesus Christ is believed and received the Savior as Lord. That's the whole purpose of the scripture to move you the personal faith and allegiance in Jesus Christ. Amen. And again, just as I said earlier, the word of God is glorified when its will is obeyed above my own will. All oh, my friends is the word of God finding free course in your hearts. And is it being glorified? I hope and I pray that it is. Well, thirdly then is this. Not only do we see first that if the word of God is to to succeed uh, in, in in, in its work, the people of God must be praying. Secondly, there are evident tokens of the success of the gospel when it does succeed. But thirdly, I would say this, that not only has the word of God succeeded in the past, It will succeed in the present and in the future. You need to hear this. You need to be aware of this. As I said before, Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, the kingdoms of our Lord have become, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. History has a certain end. And there is a sense in which the Lord Jesus Christ is calling you, he's enlisting you to be active in that side, if I can put it this way, that will ultimately see the glory of God. He's not enlisting you in a losing cause. Should you spend and be spent in the cause of Christ, you will not have been wasted. You will have been used to the fullness of your ability for the glory of God. What better thing can there be? And the Christians say, yes, I may, and don't get me wrong when I say this, but I may die in this cause. But if I die in this cause, I'm dying for a winning cause. No loss for the Christian in this regard. And so we see here that the gospel has succeeded and it will succeed. Notice what Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 1. Again, finally brethren pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. You see Paul was able to say that to the Thessalonians. The word of God has found free course. The word of God has been glorified. It's been glorified in you and we see this in a number of places in the scripture. In Acts chapter 17 is where we have the account of the gospel coming to Thessalonica. Now, when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And as Paul's manner was, he went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Verse 4, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. And of the chief, women, not a few. So the gospel was received by the Thessalonians. Now what's interesting, in verses 5 like through 8, you find that there is opposition stirred in Thessalonica against the gospel. So the point I want you to see is this. Is that the gospel overcame even in the face of opposition. And it's the same in our day as well. Amen. Don't be unnerved by those who would oppose the gospel. Don't think that the gospel is on its dying breath just because in our small circle it seems to be. Don't think that the ways of God are going to be thwarted. Understand that God's purpose and God's will will be accomplished. We read twice uh, in in, in the epistles to the Thessalonians Thessalonians, how the word of God was received. And this this is the picture of its victory. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction... How was the word of God glorified? Well, while there was affliction and opposition, the word of God was successful and found a place in the hearts of the individual believers. First Thessalonians 2.13 For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when you had received the word of God which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually also works in you that believe. That's God's word being glorified. In one place in the scripture, the, the word of God is called a sword, and another place in the scripture, the word of God is called a hammer. And I'm telling you right now, God's sword will accomplish what it intends. God's hammer will bring about what it intends. And so, again, success in the life of the in the lives of the Thessalonians. And I'm looking out right now, and I see marks of success of the marks of the success of the gospel. There's been opposition, yes, but you some of you have come and embraced Jesus Christ by faith. And I say to all of you who are here, embrace Jesus Christ by faith. Come to this one who calls you. Come to this one who bled for you. You understand that when I'm in prayer for you and when I'm preaching to you, especially I'm thinking to myself, Jesus Christ bled for these ones. And I'm going to come up here and tell jokes. I'm going to come up here and make people laugh. I don't think so. And so again, come to this one. Come to this one who bled for you. Come to this one who died for you. Come to this one who is raised again from the dead for you. You see the word of God being glorified. And the way that we see it again in the lives of the Thessalonians. Is that there was a real repentance in their life. A real conversion. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians nine: For they themselves show what manner of entering in we had among you. How you turned to God from idols. To serve the living and true God. And so what we see here then. Is the glorious effect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel has been effective. And the gospel will be effective. Paul was able to say in his day that the gospel was preached to every creature. Paul was able to speak about the gospel going far and wide. We see very early in the book of Acts and very early in the history of the Christian church that the gospel was spread throughout the known world at that time. And the gospel is going on and going on and going on and going on. You see, there is success for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've had that great revival of the Christian faith and what we know as the Reformation, when the clarity of the gospel, when the evangelical thrust of the gospel was made clear again. When men came to understand that God dealt with them here and now in the interaction of their own souls between a holy God and the, and the offer of a Savior was made, not through coming to a church, not through going through sacraments, but through faith in a Savior, again, the one who bled and died. And all these things show to us that the word of God has been running and the word of God will be running and the word of God will be glorified. You see, you and I, my brothers and sisters, we are engaged in a great struggle, yes, but that struggle is certain and that struggle, its end is secure. God has called you through this duty of prayer to be enlisted in this great task in which he will most certainly be glorified Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that in some small or large way, Lord God, some small or large way, you have called us to join in the work of the gospel. Uh, This gospel which has gone forth and is ever going forth. This gospel that will culminate in the glorification of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, over all of human history. What a thought, Father. And I ask and I pray, Father, as this church's pastor, as this church's minister, that you would give to your people a spirit of prayer and supplication, that they might pray for the success of the word of God, that they might see the word of God running, that they might feel and sense the word of God being victorious and glorified, and that this place might be, Father, a haven for sinners to come out from a world of sin, and to embrace a world of love given to them through faith in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.